You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Good morning. I think McKenna just fired me. (laughs) We're good. Hopefully, God knows your heart (laughs) and that you meant it for me. (laughs) My name's Todd. (laughs) Good morning. Um, So we are in the book of James. We're in chapter 3. If you want to open your app or your Bible there, that's where we'll be this morning. Um, And before we dive into our text today, we're going to be handling the first 12 verses. I thought we'd do... um, a little bit of like previously on James, uh, for those of you maybe who haven't been with us, or just to get us back up to speed. So James, as you turn in there, has been trying to test the quality of faith. He's very concerned with faith. James loves faith. He believes that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in the death, life, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. And so he wants to really clarify, what is this faith then that saves? He really wants to make sure that we're steady on that, because it makes all the difference between life and death. Uh, both in eternity and for now. And so he started off by talking about he t- wants to, uh, the test of trials, like it reveals the quality of our faith. He talked about um, the turnaround between when we hear something and when we do it. That's a, it's a test of our faith, what kind of faith is residing in us. He talked about uh, partiality and um, is our faith the kind that extends to believing that all people need Jesus equally or do we feel like some people need him more than others? Uh, and then he talked about last week, uh, Luke preached on uh, the end part of chapter 2. And if you weren't here for that, I would look it up online. We were actually out of town uh, last weekend in Iowa, and so I listened to it online. I would encourage you to do the same thing if you missed it. Luke did a great job of, of pointing out what James says, is that our works should flow out of faith. The kind of faith that saves is the kind of faith that isn't alone. It's the kind of faith that has works that go along with it. The faith is what justifies us as people before God, and the works justify that the faith is legit. It legitimizes that the faith was for real. Um, And so he focused on good works. And so uh, this past week at Connection Group, we kind of spent a lot of our time talking about, like, the works part. Like, what what does that even look like? What kind of works? Because James doesn't really go more specific than that, if you noticed. Um, He just says, faith without works is dead. But which works? What works? Um, And so we spend a lot of time in Connection Group. If you're not in a Connection Group, I would encourage you to get in one of those. Uh, That's where we spend our midweek time really thinking through what we hear on Sunday, and getting to know community and trying to love Jesus together. And so uh, Connection Group, we tried to, tried to cash this out a little bit because works is so general. Like, if you just think, like, I have to do works, isn't that kind of like a weighty thing? It's like going to, it's like somebody sends you on a mission to get cereal, and, like, but they weren't more specific. <laughs> and you're just, like, looking at a row <laughs> of, of cereal options, and you're like, I, I don't know. <laughs> There's too many. There's, like, a million types of cereal. There's, like, a million types of, of, of Cheerios. Like, just even if you said, get me Cheerios, you'd be like, which ones? There's like 75. <laughs> there's like, you know, I mean, at this point, there's like prime rib Cheerios. And <laughs> I mean, like, there's every kind of possible Cheerios. So, so you can feel the weight of that. Like, do works. Well, which ones? Like, there's so much to do, right? I mean, like, there's no end to the things you could do. So James wants to help us this morning. He wants to really zero in. Um, and uh, he wants to hit us right at home. And so we're going to do something really weird, and then it'll make sense. But everybody... Everybody look at me. Everybody stick your tongue out at me right now. Kids, don't do this at home, but you have permission. Stick your tongue out. You want to talk about, you want to get specific? Let's, 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 let's get close to home. Your face. Like what could be more personal and up in your grill? Like somebody gets in your face, 
it's like, oh, that's personal. Like, you're in my business. Like, I don't like, I don't, I don't give everybody permission to put their hands in my face. <laughs> I have lots of kids, so they get to. And even that was like an adjustment because you're like, oh, I don't, I know where your hands have been. <laughs> like, I, like, for most people, you're worried you don't know where their hands have been. With me, it's like, I know for a fact where your hands have been. And that's the disturbing part about this interaction right now. Um, but James wants to say, okay, you want to talk about works? You, you say that's too general, it's too generic, I don't know what to do. Let's, get, let's hit you right in the face. What, what could be more practical than what you do with your mouth? Nothing is more practical. And, and your tongue is the gateway to the rest of it. And he wants to, the reason why he's focusing on this one thing is because if you can get this down, every other work will fall into place. He's like, but don't rush off to all the other stuff before you get your tongue under control. It's very personal. Like, you get, you're sick, you go to the doctor, what's the first thing they do? They have this weird oversized popsicle stick, tongue depressor, they're looking around your mouth, and then they pop a thermometer under your tongue, and they kind of get a gauge of where things are at. Because you can take the temperature of an entire body by just looking at the tongue. You can get a, a, an idea of the health of a person just by checking out somebody's tongue. And so James is going to say that there's a spiritual truth to that as well. You want to know how healthy you are? Check your tongue. What comes out of your mouth? What kind of things are you talking about? How do you talk about things? And so that's why James is going to zero in on this today. It's going to be very personal, and it's going to be very applicable. There should be no question as to which works should I be doing. Your words. That's what you need to focus in on today. So we're going to start in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3. And so he says this. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So everybody knows that you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, right? James even talked about that earlier uh, in chapter 2 about partiality. But you should judge a book by its words. That's what you judge books by. Like, everybody knows, like, well, it's not just don't judge books. Judge them by their words. Like, is it a good book? It depends what's in between the covers is what matters, and it's no different for us. What we say is what we will be judged by. I have uh, Matthew 12, 36, and 37. Look what Jesus said about this. Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. There is a day coming where your words will take the witness stand against you. What will those words testify on your behalf? What will your words say about you? Because there's a day coming where you will be judged by the content of what you said. You're not going to be judged by your cover. We all know that you're not supposed to do that, and God plays by the same rules. He's not going to judge your book by your cover, but he's going to judge it by the words that it's in between the covers, and you are no different. You will be judged by what you have said, and what will your words have to say about you on that day? What comes out of your mouth even in, you see that, the detail of even the careless things that you say? So not, like, not the stuff that you meant to say, but all the careless stuff that just comes out. The stuff you didn't even think about. The stuff later that you're like, well, I didn't even mean that. The stuff that you say, I'm like, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. All the careless words that come out of your mouth will stand on a witness stand and testify for or against you. But they will, they will only say what you have said. They won't say any more than what you've said, and they won't say any less. They will say exactly what you have said. And so those of us who teach are more accountable because, and especially those of us who just talk a lot, are more accountable because there'll be more words standing up there just by sheer number. There'll be more witnesses. And so for me, like teaching you this morning, 
I, am, I have a greater accountability for what I say because I am the only one talking in the room right now, and I expect you to listen. So that puts greater accountability on me. And so James says, most of you shouldn't want to be me right now. Because that's a, I have an increased level of accountability for what I say right now. Like, all of us are accountable for the stuff that comes out of our mouth. Jesus was clear about that. So if you're going to be judged by the careless things you say, imagine those of us who are careful about what we say, who spend hours poring over outlines trying to pick the right words. How much more accountable are we when we expect people to pay attention? And that's not limited to the teaching office of Sunday morning. That's any of you who preside over somebody, like if you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're a boss, if you have somebody that you're in charge of, a connection group leader, so you expect somebody to pay attention to your words, you should weigh your words carefully. And not just be careless, you should be careful and you should hope that what you've said is in concert with what Jesus has said so that the judgment would be good job. Like judgment isn't just imply bad. You're not just going to be judged guilty for everything you've said. The goal would be to weigh your words well, and especially if you're in a position of authority where people have to listen to you or that they would be wrong to not listen to you. You need to be careful what you're telling them to do, especially like I know as parents that hits home uh, for me on a regular basis, just the kind of things I'm telling them to do. If they're going to honor their father and mother like God has told them to do, that means they have to do what I've told them to. So I need to be careful about what kind of things I think they should do. And look at what James says, though. This isn't limited to teachers. This is all of us, right? He says, we all stumble in many ways. So we're all messing stuff up. <laughs> like, we don't need just our tongues to, to give evidence of that. But he zeroes in on this one because he's like, this is a very specific way that we all stumble in what we say. Uh, look what Romans 3 says. I have it up on a slide for you. If you've been at Anthem enough, you've seen this verse, uh, these first parts of the verses, uh, 10 through 12, often because it's, you need to understand how the Bible thinks about people and us and our standing before God. So we, these verses come up a lot because it, it establishes the baseline. Um, and it says, as it is written, this is Paul speaking. He's quoting the Old Testament. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. So we've heard that before. It's, we are all in need of grace. Nobody's getting in on the credit or the merit of their own character. Everybody needs God to save them. But what we don't often go to is the next two verses. Like, look at his exhibit A. Like, he's like, you want proof that we're all depraved and fallen and messed up? Look at the very next things he says. He gives four examples. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, snakes, is under their lips. And their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Paul's like, you want, you, you're really going to debate me on whether all people are messed up? Have you heard people talk lately? <laughs> Have you ever heard anybody say anything? You know for a fact that people are messed up because you've heard some stuff, right? <laughs> you've seen people, and anymore, like, people don't listen because everything's typed and you see it through your phone. But like, everybody's, you know the weight of words and you've been hurt by them. You don't need somebody to tell you that people's words hurt you. You need people to, to give you pithy little sayings like sticks and stones or break my bones, words will never hurt me. It's like we, we try and convince ourselves of that because we know it's not true. We know for a fact that words hurt. We have been severely wounded by those in ways that surpass all kinds of physical things that have happened to us. The words are the things that echo in your head for a long time. We don't need proof of it, but Paul goes out of his way. You want to know for a fact that we all need Jesus? Just listen to yourself. Listen to the things that you've said that have come out of your mouth because our tongues are tattling on us. Like, I have lots of kids, so they like to tattle on each other. But when they're doing that, 
That even as they're tattling on somebody else, their tongue is tattling on them. All of our tongues are tattling on us. It's, it's tattling on what's in here. And it's coming out through our mouth, and our tongue is letting everybody know what's actually going on in here. So you want to know, you, you, you stand here this morning, you're like, I don't know where I'm at with Jesus. I, sometimes I feel like I love him. Sometimes I feel like I wish he'd leave me alone. Uh, just listen to your words. You want to get, take your temperature? Look at your tongue. Think about what you talk about, what comes out of your mouth. Because look away, Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 34. I have it up on a slide for you. He says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's like this stuff is coming from somewhere. Like it's not just like, oh, I just said it. I didn't mean it. Like, like people are like, well, I know what I said sounded really mean, but you know my heart. You know my heart. You know, it. it's like, I think I do. I think it just ran, lit me up. <laughs> like I think the things you just said is, is actually what your heart is. You can't say like, well, I know what I say is this, but my heart is really this. It's like, I don't think that's the way it works. I think what's coming out is a reflection of what's actually inside in the first place. It's like if you walk into a garage, you ever had this experience, like an old garage with like a bunch of old spray paint cans and the lids are for some reason missing. You're like, I don't know what color this is. <laughs> You're just like, it's just a bunch of spray cans. You know the best way to find out? Press the nozzle down. What's inside will come out. It's pressurized and it will reveal itself by pressing on the nozzle. Our mouth is the nozzle of our heart. It comes out. Like, and it's under pressure, and that's why people need to vent. Oh, I just had to vent. I just had to. Why do you have to vent? Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It, it, it's pressurized, and it's building, and you're like, ah, I have to tell somebody. So you call somebody who you feel like won't judge you for just, Bleh! <laughs> right? Because like, I had to vent. I had to. I was compelled to. Because it's in you, and it's pressurized, and it wants to come out. And so the best indication of what's inside you is what's coming out of your mouth. What you're talking about is who you are at your core. And, and so you're like, James, come on, really? Like, this seems like such a small thing. Who doesn't need to vent every once in a while? We've all been there, right? You've all just been there, like, I just need to talk to somebody, or I just need to get one good scream out, or one good cry, or whatever it is, and be like, Bleh. okay. And then at the end of it, you feel better. Ah, oh, the pressure's gone. Ah. Oh. But a bunch of people got hurt in the process. But you feel better. You feel better because the pressure's gone. Not giving any thought to what your words have actually done to anybody listening. The way that your words have affected how they think about the person that you were talking about. How your words have affected that person if it was them you just needed to unload on because you've been sitting on a bunch of stuff and now's the day that I press the nozzle and you find out what's in my heart when I think about you. Our words are coming from our heart and it seems like such a small deal. Like, we all do this. Who isn't? It's human. But James says it's, it seems like a small thing. But this is a really big deal. Look at what he says in verse 3, in the first part of 5. We'll go through. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member Yet it boasts of great things. Um, I, uh, every summer, we go and visit uh, my parents who live out in the Black Hills um, in Custer, near like right down the road from Crazy Horse in Mount Rushmore. And it's super fun um, because we're kind of city folk, and that's kind of like country-esque and stuff, so it's nice. And my dad has a horse. His name is Joe, <laughs> which is like the most like pedestrian name for a horse. <laughs> it's like not like, you know, Black Lightning or something. Like it's, it's just like, it's Joe. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, sorry, horse, you lost the name lottery, apparently. <laughs> you could have been something like, you know, I don't know, whatever, Quicksilver or something cool. But no, it's just Joe. Um, and I have a picture of my daughter riding Joe. Uh, you have that up there? I can't see if, if it, okay, yeah, there it is. So that's my daughter, Penelope. Uh, she's eight years old, and she is 50 pounds sopping wet. Like, if she was sopping wet and had a bunch of quarters in her pocket, <laughs> maybe she'd be 50 pounds tops. Joe is like hundreds of pounds. Like, I don't think he's quite 1,000 pounds. He's like 800 or something. He's 800 pounds. And you see her on this horse. The horse is doing what she wants. <laughs> like, what, like, the horse is like, if they could think it through, it's like, I could take her. <laughs> like, I don't really want to go over there. I kind of like it here. <laughs> but she pulls on the thing and it goes. Why? Because there's a tiny little bit in its mouth. And whoever controls the bit controls the whole horse. The horse has been trained. The horse is broken, which means it, it submits to whatever the, whatever the bit tells it to go. So my little daughter can tell a horse where to go. And a horse is just like basically a big meat stick. Like it's all muscle. <laughs> I mean, it could do whatever it wants. Like, I, that's why I don't really like horses that much because, like, I don't like things that big that don't speak English because, like, <laughs> because if that thing wanted to kill me, I couldn't, like, no, it's a misunderstanding. I, this, I, thought, this, <laughs> I thought that was my hat. You know, like, I'm sorry. I don't know why the horse has a hat in this scenario, but um, I, I just couldn't talk my way out of it. And if it wants to end me, it, it, I could do nothing about it. Joe could kill me in a heartbeat and, <laughs> and it'd be game over. But Penelope can control Joe because there's a bit in his mouth. Now you take that bit off and all, all bets are off. Who knows what Joe might do? But as long as that bit's in there, it seems like a small deal, right? It's a little piece of metal. What difference could that make? There's no chance I'm letting her ride Joe without a bit because he would be dangerous and out of control and destructive and he would revert to whatever he wanted to do and who knows what that might be? Who knows what Joe might do without a bit in his mouth? And so James gives that example. He also gives an example of a ship. I have a picture of that up there for you. And kids, if you're drawing uh, today, uh, you know, here, start drawing a ship. That's what a ship looks like. I picked like a pirate ship for you guys instead of like a cruise ship, uh, just because like that's kids like that and they draw. Um, but listen, if you're drawing a boat from memory, like you might get a lot of this stuff. Like if I said, just draw it and didn't put this up there, but I bet you might forget the rudder. Like, you see that tiny little thing, kids, if you're drawing out there while I'm preaching, that's fine. Um, but just pay attention for this one second. <laughs> Look up there. Like, there's a little tiny rudder on the left bottom there. And if you're even drawing it from memory, you might never even think to put it on there. Because it's such a small detail. A rudder? I, don't, I mean, you don't even think about it when you think of a ship. You think of wood and mass and, and, the, and the sail, and you think of the stern, and you think of the wheel. <laughs> you don't think that it's connected to something at all. Um, a rudder is a small piece of a boat and yet it can control the whole thing. And so don't take this too lightly. You might be quick to dismiss this and be like, well, we're talking about tongues and mouths, blah, blah. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, Todd. We all do it. James is saying, yes, we all do it, and it's a really big deal. It's a big problem, and we need to look no further than our own experience to know how words can affect our lives. We know that it's true. We just don't think it's true about our words. We know that it's true about what people say to us, We've been hurt by things, and we know what we think about what people say to us. But we don't think about our own words. It's different for some reason for us. We don't internalize the lesson. We only see it as an outside problem, and people should think about what they say to me because I've been hurt by it. And it seems like a small thing, but it's a big deal. Why? Because our tongues are small, but they cause great damage. You know that to be true. Look where James goes with it, uh, the last part of 5 and then verse 6. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, 
a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Fire has an amazing capacity to multiply. It can spread. If you have water and you drop it on the ground, it doesn't become a flood. There's no danger of it becoming a flood. It just kind of dries up or gets soaked into the water or into the ground. Fire, a small spark, can multiply and consume an entire forest. A small spark. So you can have somebody who loves the woods, can't wait for the weekend just to go set up their hammock thingy or their little bungee cord thingy that they balance on. Like That's a thing you know. Like I see online. I don't know how to balance on anything. <laughs> so I don't do it. But people who love the woods can go out. And they just want to enjoy the woods and enjoy a s'more on their, on their, on their own. <laughs> they just want to have you know, lonely s'mores, which sounds really sad, really, when you say it that way. But uh, they just want to enjoy it. But they can, by accident, burn down the whole forest that they love. So they have to be very careful about when they're lighting fires, because they love the forest. They want to spend time there. And a small spark can set the whole thing ablaze, and they can destroy the thing that they love. The tongue is like that. A small word spoken can devour and consume another person. It can take over and spread like wildfire inside them and become a much bigger deal over time. And for those of you who, who even now, as I've been talking, you've spent a lot of, you haven't been listening to a lot of what I've said because at some point during the sermon, you thought of something somebody said once. And it's not hard to pull up. Like the, the, the computer drive accesses it right away. And it's only gotten louder. It's not quieter from when it was first said. Like the emphasis, the exclamation points haven't gone away over time. They're still there, and you know for a fact the hurt that words can cause. Now, James is pointing this out because he wants you to think about your words. Now, the reason I bring up how hurt you've been is to reinforce the point that you know how powerful words can be. The application is that you would think about your words and how you have hurt people. You know how you are hurting right now? You have done that to other people. You have said stuff without thinking, and you have set a spark in their soul that has consumed them or hurt them and burned them. And how easy is it to burn people? It's so easy to do, you can do it by accident. I didn't mean that. Oh, why did I say that? I didn't even mean it. You ever got yourself talking and then ended up way stronger of a position than you started by the end of it? You know, you're like, at first, you're just like, I don't want a dog. And then by the end of it, you're like, I wish all dogs were dead. <laughs> you know, or something like, it's too far. It's too much. <laughs> You know, and it's like, and you know that you're doing it. <laughs> you know, like it starts off like, but by the end of it, you've just gone too far. You can talk yourself into that, and we've all done it. And James wants you to think about your words because they're wild. Your words are wild. Like once they're out there, they're out there. Look where he goes next, verse 7 through 8. They're not just powerful. They're not just very destructive. They're wild. Every, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Words cannot be caged. Like, once they're unleashed, they're gone. There's no getting them back. Like, I had a dog when I was younger named Lambo. Some of you might have told a story about him a couple times because he was the worst. <laughs> he was this little, like, Bashan Frise, and uh, he was just, you know, the only relationship we had was the leash, you know? Like, without the leash, he was like, Ping! <laughs> And, like, if, if, if you forget to leash Lambo, you talk about how you used to have a dog. <laughs> because without a leash, he's gone. <laughs> like, he's just out of there. Because once he's loose, he's wild. Never was domesticated. Never, like, felt like our home was home. He's just out and gone. Your words are like that. Once they're out, they're out. 
There is no corralling them. There's no gathering them up and, and, and like frantically searching and trying to gather up all the words and make sure and managing where they went and how they affected people. Once they're out, they're out. They're just out, and they're gone, and they're loose, and they're wild. Uh, pastor Tom, a pastor at uh, Cornerstone Church of Ames, um, once said, uh, I heard him say on many times when he's talking about words, he had a certain phrase that was from a poem, and I found it online because I only remembered part of it. But just listen to this. It's really short. He says, boys flying kites can haul in their stringed birds. You can call back your kites, but you can't call back your words. Thoughts unexpressed may sometimes fall back dead, but God himself cannot kill them once they've been said. Like once they're out there, they're out there. And you can repent, you can say you're sorry, but the words, once they're out there, are out there. But listen to the, like, the wisdom of the poem. Like Thoughts unexpressed sometimes fall back dead. Have you ever felt something really passionately and slept on it, and the next day you're like, man, I'm glad I didn't say that? <laughs> like Sometimes it just falls back dead. Like, eh, what I thought was so important to have to say in the moment is now over, and I don't feel like saying it anymore. But once you say it, it's out, which is why we have to pay attention to what's coming out of our mouths, and we have to think about what we're saying and what it says about us, because our words are testifying on our behalf. They're telling everybody what we're about, which is why we need to guard the gate of our mouth. We'll finish off with the verses 9 through 12. Look, look what he says about our mouths, our tongues. He says, with it, with our mouth, we bless our Lord and Father. We sing songs, we clap, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My, br- my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Our lips should be telling one story. They should be telling one story. You should be like a spring. It produces one kind of water. And you know what kind of spring it is because you taste the water and you know. It should be like a tree. It produces one kind of fruit. Fig trees produce figs. Olive trees produce olives. Your lips should be telling one story. It should be telling one story because our mouths should be relaying the one story that we have. Everything should be seasoned with the salt of, of grace and Christ because that's who we're all about. So everything that comes out of here should be influenced by that one thing that's in deep in our heart. And, like in, and so James is saying your mouth should be like a spring, which is known by its water. And instead, a lot of times our heart is like those Coca-Cola freestyles. <laughs> Have you seen those things? If you don't know what it is, it's like that computer thing where you can choose your own drink and there's like 127 options. Like you can make like grape mellow yellow, <laughs> which is really good, by the way. It sounds really weird, but grape mellow yellow is awesome. And then if you want to, you can make Mountain Dew Baja Blast if you mix Powerade and mellow yellow. <laughs> And it, but but that, that thing is like this one spout. This seems like a diatribe, but this is useful information. Write this down. <laughs> like, you can bankrupt Mountain Dew right now. <laughs> you just need some power rate and some oil. Okay. Anyway, so that, that's just a helpful life hack for you guys. Um, it has one spout, but literally, like, who knows what might come out of that thing? It's like soda roulette. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, who knows? Like, I got some, like, Sprite, Grape, Zero. You know, it's like, who knows what combinations of things might come out of there? That's what our mouths are often like day to day. Like we talk out of both sides of our mouths. Like one minute you'd think like we were, Jesus was the only thing we ever lived, breathed, thought, cared about. And the next moment you're like, do you even know who Jesus is? Like what are you talking about? Our mouths are like these freestyle things that are just anything comes out. Just depending on what's around us, who's stimulating us, what kind of people we're around. James says your mouth shouldn't be like that. You should know what comes out of it. You should know what to expect. It should be a one-trick pony. You should have one story that you're telling. And it comes out of your mouth 
Because if you're not what you say, my mom used to say this all the time. I would say stuff, and then she would call me on it and be like, well, I didn't mean that. You know? And she's like, if you're not what you say, what are you? Like, the only thing we have to go by is what you're saying. I don't, I can't, I don't know what's in your heart. I don't claim to, but when I hear you talk, I feel like I have a, a, a good idea. The only thing we have to go by is what you're talking about. So you need to be careful about what's coming out. You need to think through what's coming out of your mouth because it's revealing what's actually going on deep inside. And so last week, James asked the question, can faith without works save? And it was a rhetorical question because the answer is no. Because it's not real faith. If it just says one thing but doesn't do anything, he's like, there's good reason to question if that's legit. There's a good reason to wonder if that's really faith. Is that the kind of faith that we're talking about? Is that the kind of faith that Jesus worked so hard to serve and die for? Was that people would just be able to say, like, just say it? Be like, yep, Jesus, good, and then move on with their life? Is that what he's talking about? James says emphatically, no, that's not the kind of faith. Because faith without works is dead. And you don't want a dead faith. You want a living faith. And so this week, James is asking the question, can faith without words save? Like the very first work is your mouth. Look no further than your face. Like there's, all, there, there's all kinds of things to do, all kinds of social things we could involve ourselves in and should do. But we should get our mouth under control first. If we can do that, James says, if you can bridle your tongue, you can bridle the whole thing. If you can control your tongue, you can control the whole body. So who has control of your tongue? Who has the bit in your mouth? Is it Jesus? Then go where he's telling you to go. Stop being, like, imagine if Joe kept bucking against Penelope and just, like, wouldn't submit to the bit in his mouth. If you're a Christian, Jesus controls the bit. Do what he says. Say what he would say. Act in line with that. Because our words are the first work. And our, our, our faith should show up in what we say. And it should be more than just something we said once upon a time. It should be something we talk about all the time. And so that's the reason why we have these tables set up this morning. We have communion. That's how we respond to the preaching and hearing of God's word. You have heard what God has said. You've heard him emphatically. And it hasn't been a lot of hope. <laughs> if you notice, Dr. James has put that, that thermometer under there, and the, the diagnosis is terminal. And he hasn't offered any hope. He's just been like, he's, but, but sometimes you need to know that you're sick before you know what you should do. And so Dr. James has been very careful to point out the evidence that he sees as to why you're sick. Here's the chart, here's the test, here's the numbers. There's nothing to argue with at this point, right? Is anybody able to survive this inspection at the end of it and be like, I feel like I do pretty well. I feel like all I ever talk about is Jesus and, <laughs> and everything else is uh, meaningless to me and I just love Jesus and that's all I ever talk about. So the reason why we do communion is because James has reinforced what the rest of the Bible is saying. We all need Jesus. None of us have used our mouths correctly. Who hasn't thrown a curse at somebody or gossiped about them or said something or blown up or vented or lost control of their tongue and said things they didn't mean? Who of us, who of us hasn't done that? So the grace that is offered to you today is a table set before you where we remember that Jesus lived and died for people who don't use their mouths well. He died for people who have screwed up and sinned using their mouths, because no man or woman can tame his tongue or her tongue. They can't do it. We all need Jesus because we all deserve to be judged guilty. Our words will testify on our behalf, and what we should get is a guilty sentence. If our words stand on that, that testimony stand on that last day, we would be judged guilty. 
by our own words. Jesus said that on many occasions. Like, by your own mouth, you've confessed that you are guilty by the things that you've consented to. So at this table, we remember that the word of God became flesh to die for our words. The word of God died for the words that we shouldn't have said, for all the things we should have said and we're too scared to say. For the sins of our mouth, he has died. And so he offers you a table because Jesus died for our words so that we might live according to his. There's redemption for our mouths, this world of evil and unrighteousness that James has talked about. There is redemption in this. And we even see that in communion. You, you take off a piece of the bread. When the band comes up, they will play. You will break off a piece and you will dip it in a cup and your mouth will be an essential part of that process. Your mouth, the, the very thing that has caused all the sin and the thing that you deserve to be judged for is going to be redeemed by, it's going to meet your lips right at the problem. The body of Jesus broken for you. His blood shed for your sins. The word of God dying for your words so that you might live according to his. I have one last verse to throw up there. Romans 9, Romans 10, sorry, 9 through 10. The redemption of our mouths is an important thing to God. It is a problem, but he has provided redemption. And it's as simple as this. Look, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart. See, the mouth and the heart are connected always. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. That word confess, it's not a past tense verb. It's not confessed. It's Greek present tense. Confessing. Not once upon a time at church camp I said Jesus was Lord. It's, is that your testimony right now? So this morning this table is prepared for you to come confess. Come confessing your sins. Come confessing the sins of your mouth. And come ready to take in the word of God and to leave more committed by grace through faith to live in accordance with it. Not, doing, not worrying about all the works that we could do, but focusing just for today on our mouth and letting that be the work that we focus on, knowing that if we can control that, we can control everything else. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you that it provides us with instruction about what we should be talking about. It provides us with hope for the sins of our words. Thank you for preparing this table for us, for sinners who don't deserve it. The last thing we deserve is a meal prepared for us and to be welcomed as guests. We deserve to be sitting under the weight of what we have said and to feel the shame and the guilt of just the evidence against us of the things that we have let come out of our mouths. And if we stood under that, we would all be embarrassed. The weight of it, if we just rolled the tape back, if God just played audio of all the things we've said under our breath, in mixed company, all by ourselves in our heart, we would be condemned. But you have set for us a table that welcomes sinners and offers forgiveness. Pray that many this morning would come knowing that forgiveness is offered and consuming that, taking it into themselves, that they would receive the implanted word, like James says in chapter 1, that is able to save, that they would receive it with meekness and that the word would implant that itself in them and that their hearts would spring fresh with new, fresh water, that covers all the sins of our past, and that we would, yes, those words, once they've said, are out and about, but we can say sorry. We can repent. We can do what we can do. And so by God's grace, may we do that. May we be empowered by the forgiveness that we receive at this table to leave loving people and walking in light of the works you've prepared for us, beginning with the things that come out of our mouth. In your name we pray. Amen.